This show is created for adult audiences only. Our show notes include content warnings and other helpful information. We strongly recommend taking a moment to assess the situation before continuing. Let's begin. Episode 30, The Jersey Devil. It was a cold January evening in the winter of 1909, just after sunset. Winter had settled in on the quiet Woodbury town. Jimothy Barnes, often referred to as JB by his friends, was tending to his livestock. As he made his rounds, he went from one to the other, providing food and water, and making sure his barn had enough heat to keep his animals warm despite the rapid decrease in temperature. The winter months were particularly more difficult for him and his family, and this year was no different. They had been struggling to make ends meet for a while, and he couldn't risk any of his animals falling ill or dying by freezing to death. As JB was wrapping up his chores and about to leave the barn, his horses started acting up, almost as if something had spooked them. He walked over to try and calm them when his cattle became very skittish. He couldn't quite make sense of what was going on. They never acted up. He traced the inner perimeter of the barn, looking for anything out of the ordinary, but found nothing. At that moment, in an instant, the animals calmed. The area became eerily quiet. Still confused as to what had caused them to act up, JB decided to dismiss it and exited the barn, securing the doors behind him. When he walked outside, he was met by a fresh blanket of snow covering the ground. It glistened and twinkled under the glow of the winter moon. He could feel it was much colder at this point as he clenched his coat, pulling it closed tightly around him. He slowly made his way through the snow up to his house. He was stopped by a sudden loud shriek that echoed and seemed to rumble the area around him. What the hell was that? he said to himself, startled by the sudden sound and the otherwise lull of the night air. He stood there for a moment, waiting to see if he could hear anything else. When there were no further sounds, he continued walking, slightly faster than he had previously been. All of a sudden, he heard a loud banging sound coming from the direction of his barn behind him. He immediately turned to see the silhouette of a large figure that appeared to be banging or clawing at his barn door. 
Get away from there. He yelled to the figure. He then started running through the snow back toward the barn. As he inched closer, the figure became larger and more in focus under the light of the moon. He didn't know what to make of it. He stopped again, this time scared of what he was seeing. At that moment, the creature turned its head directly in JB's direction. What could only be described as fiery red eyes bulged from the creature's horse-like head. It stood up and sprouted what appeared to be wings coming off of its back. It seemed to arch backwards as if it were about to dash at JB. Although completely frightened by what he witnessed, he couldn't move. Fear consumed him entirely, preventing any motion or sounds from exiting his mouth. He wanted to run for his life, but found himself staring into the creature's eyes. The creature then lunged forward, causing JB to fall onto his back. He watched as it flew over the rooftop of his barn and out of sight. He lay there for several minutes, still confused and in shock before coming to. He quickly stood up, balancing himself on top of the wet snow, and took off running to his barn. He threw the barn doors open and ran inside to check on his livestock. To his surprise, they were quite calm given the situation, and everything appeared to be intact. Despite his concern that the creature may return, he secured the barn doors closed and made his way back to the house. Once he reached his porch, he took his boots off and began looking around for any signs of the creature. He checked each side of the house and surveyed the landscape, but there was nothing. He began to feel much more relaxed and finally caught his breath before walking inside. You look as pale as a ghost, his wife said as he walked through the front door. He looked at her, considering telling her what he had seen, but decided not to. He didn't want to scare her or sound like he was going crazy, so he let it go. It's like the dead of winter out there, he said in reply as he shut his barn clothes in the entryway. He made sure to lock the door behind him and went to clean up for dinner. He stood at the bathroom mirror questioning if what he had seen was real, or just the cold winter air getting to him. He got dressed and made his way downstairs. As he did so, he checked every window to make sure it was latched securely. This helped put his mind more at ease. He sat down for dinner in the small dining room with his wife Marianne and his daughter Agatha. Throughout dinner, they made small conversation. JB made sure not to speak of any of the events that took place earlier that evening. Instead, he talked about the weather. To make light of everything, he suggested the family spend the day playing in the snow the following day. His wife and daughter were quite surprised and caught off guard by his suggestion. He was normally a very serious and quiet man and didn't normally partake in any extracurricular activities that didn't involve working on the farm. Regardless, they excitedly agreed and finished the rest of their meal. 
After dinner, Agatha retired to her room to go to bed for the night, while Marianne cleaned up. JB poured himself some bourbon and lit a cigar and sat by the fire in the main living area of the house. He rolled back the curtains so he could look at the night sky and look for anything out of the ordinary. He watched as the snow fell and coated his tracks from earlier. It was peaceful to watch the world at its most vulnerable like that. Something caught his attention out of the corner of his eye. He saw a large shadow move quickly over the snow. It seemed to circle the area. However, he could not see what was creating it. Suddenly, panic overtook him as he realized it was most likely the creature he saw earlier. That relaxed feeling he felt instantly turned to fear. He quickly stood up and raced out the front door. JB! His wife yelled behind him. But he didn't reply. Instead, he ran down the front porch steps and into the cold, wet snow. He could feel it sting his feet and toes as they quickly became numb, as he didn't have time to put on his boots. It took a minute for his eyes to adjust to the darkness as he ran around his house looking for the creature overhead. It was nowhere to be found. He ran to the barn and pulled the doors open and found it just as he had left it. With haste, he closed them again and ran around to the other side of the house. Still in panic, he called out, Who is there? He stopped to listen for a reply or sound of any kind, but there was none. So he decided to go back to the porch and put on his boots for fear of developing frostbite or hypothermia. As he sat there securing his laces, he heard his wife scream from inside the house. He quickly raced inside and found his wife hiding beneath the table. Marianne, what's wrong? He asked. Through tear-filled eyes, she pointed towards the living area. She seemed to tremble and shake, clearly full of fear. JB could hear what sounded like flapping wings coming from the other room. He slowly walked towards the entryway, knowing what he was about to encounter, and peeked his head around the corner. There it was again. He saw the same creature from earlier, flying around the room. This time, he could make out all of its features. It appeared to look similar to a kangaroo with bat-like wings, a horse-shaped head with horns, and a fork-shaped tail. Its tail crashed around the room, knocking down everything in its path. The flames from the fire in the fireplace flickered in and out from the constant swing of it, nearly being put out with each swing. JB whispered to his wife, Get Agatha and get to the barn now. He then stepped under the threshold of the living area, locking eyes with the creature as it huffed and puffed and snarled at him. He grabbed his shotgun that was hidden beneath the sofa and aimed it in the direction of the creature. He placed it at his shoulder 
and aimed his sight down the barrel as he cocked it and fired the first shot. He hit the creature's wing, causing it to fall to the floor. It let out a deafening screech that shook the floor beneath him. At the same time, Marianne and Agatha ran out the front door. The creature then stumbled to its feet, tripping over its clawed talons. Once on all fours, it kicked its front legs towards JB. He loaded two new shells into the chamber of a shotgun and fired once again. This time he missed it, removing a chunk of stone surrounding the fireplace. The creature let out another screech, causing JB to cover his ears to muffle the sound. He slowly inched closer as it backed away from him. He aimed his shotgun at the creature once more, ready to kill it. When all of a sudden, its wings spread out as it quickly retreated into the flue and out the chimney. He stood there for a moment, catching his breath, before racing out the front door after the creature. He saw it flying overhead as he shot it one last time. To his disappointment, he missed and ran to the barn. Once he arrived, he knocked on the door as loudly as he could, yelling to his wife, Let me in! She unlatched the inside lock and let him inside. The three of them gathered in the far corner, next to the entrance to their chicken coop. They could hear the creature's screeches echoing around them. The livestock shuffled and scattered, reacting to the sounds as the family tried to be as quiet as possible. The sound of the creature's claw scratching on the roof was piercing. It thrashed against the barn siding, causing dust and debris to fill the area. They couldn't let it inside. JB mustered up the courage for his family's sake to go outside and try and scare the creature off. He slowly opened the barn doors and walked out into the biting cold and yelled out to the creature, Leave my family alone! His yells echoed into the night sky as his voice trembled with every word. The creature flew over his head and floated there for a moment and disappeared over the field behind his property. The family spent the rest of the night huddled in the barn, keeping each other warm. JB did his best to calm Agatha as she cried herself to sleep. Marianne followed shortly after. The hour slowly came and went, and there were no further sounds or any signs of the creature for the rest of the night. JB stood up at the first sign of daylight and walked outside. The area was calm and quiet and back to normal. The following days, countless reports of similar stories made the headlines in the local newspapers. From New Jersey to Delaware, Maryland, and even Pennsylvania. Each tale spoke of a similar creature wreaking havoc and scaring or killing livestock and causing families to flee their homes or to remain inside them. Schools closed the entire week and many businesses shut their doors. Like most other families, JB, Marianne, and Agatha stayed within the confines of their farmhouse. 
JB was the only one allowed outside to keep up on the livestock. After that week, there was no further activity, and everyone went back to their normal lives. Alright, welcome campers to Campfire Tales of the Strange and Unsettling. We're your hosts. I'm Ryan. And I'm Jordan. And now the debrief. Let's get into it, man. Alright. So a very uh, classic tale here, for sure. Um, Yeah, yeah. Definitely, the Jersey Devil's definitely a heavy hitter. It it really is. Up there with like Bigfoot and Nessie and... Yeah. I, I hope... I hope that I did it justice. Um, I, at I least you setting you know, setting the scene. So, yeah, absolutely. Um, the the okay. So first off, the interesting thing to me about the Jersey Devil because it gets lumped in with cryptids, right? right? For sure. Yep. Technically, the Jersey Devil is a chimera, right? It's like an amalgam of other creatures. Yeah, it's basically said, said to be similar to a chimera with. Uh, one head, obviously, um, right. and Abby. I mean, as described in the story, it's kind of like a bird-like body, but also kind of kangarooey with like a horse-shaped right. head. You know, like yeah, bat wings and and all that stuff, right? Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if it was like a fucking turtle shell and a rattlesnake for a tail and right yeah it's like, I mean, yeah <laughs> you know that's the thing is it's often described kind of differently some people also describe it as having like reptilian skin yeah like scaled skin and stuff like that but a lot of the reports are more so like it's kind of like soft and smooth kind of like a you know a, a yeah. skinny bird or a like a really thin kangaroo yeah um for or sure an extremely thin malnourished Charizard. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> that's it to a T, yeah. I think you nailed it. <laughs> I think so. We can go home now. <laughs> so, like, this story took place during the, like, the rash of sightings in 1909, right? There was a week in 1909 uh, between uh, the dates were, I just want to make sure I have this 100% right, uh, so the week in 1909 uh, was from like 19 or sorry, uh, January 16th through the 23rd. Um, okay. And it was basically marked the week of the most sightings ever documented, ever seen of this creature. There were over a thousand, a thousand, um, a thousand people that witnessed this thing doing yeah. something of the sort. Um, And even, I mean, even documented hoof prints in the snow and like seeing this thing like perched on their their fence it, it apparently it, like snuck sneakily or you know like walk sneakily like a cat does as okay. it can like walk like a fence line even though it's like said to weigh like 20 or 30 pounds as you wouldn't expect you know uh, draping over a fence but it's like right. that like smooth when it walks and everything too so also odd for a cloven beast. Yeah, right? for sure. Yeah. 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 So, but yeah, during this period, this was, uh, like I said, I mean, this is the most most reports that have ever been documented. Um, during this time, I mean, there were businesses that literally shut down. Schools shut down for the entire week. Um, and then you have thousands of reports that are being literally making headlines in newspapers. 
Yeah. Like there's some crazy reports of of newspaper headlines of this actually occurring, which is awesome. Uh you know, so you know that like people aren't alone. It's not like something where they're just like imagining all this random stuff that's happening. Like it's actually making headline news all over the place. And it spanned, I mean, this particular week spanned all the way from not only New Jersey, where this you know originates, but to you know all the way upwards of Delaware, Maryland, and Pennsylvania. I mean, like right. literally all these states that these people are seeing this very same creature, this very same event that's happening. You know, you know that this week in 1909 that this happened is literally pointed to in sociology textbooks as the textbook example of mass hysteria. Very true. Also, I want to point out that this week happened to be this exact same week that we're on right now in 2022. Which is awesome. So yes, exactly. That was another thing I really, really dug about this. Um, Is this particular, these particular events happened over this week that we're shooting and releasing this episode yeah so, which is it was just really cool to be able to, to kind of have that that's it's, it's like almost like a weird synchronicity you know to yeah. to an extent right for sure so this is like a way older legend though than 1909 right this actually right. started in what this uh 18th century yeah Um, 1700s yeah 1735 specifically it was when it was first uh when the very first accounts of this making you know making any like basically entry making any debut basically yeah like we're talking like pre-declaration pre-revolutionary war right like the colonies yeah. where this originated yeah and we'll, yeah. we'll get it we'll get into that a little bit a little bit deeper when it comes to wars yeah. and things like that too uh because there's actually a very um like substantial amount of possible origins to the story too and that's kind of why i didn't take that approach when i when i was writing up the story because i wanted to focus more on like how these people felt during this time when it was most present so I feel right. like that's the most shocking. That's where you get like the most amount of like uh, at least accounts and, you know, it really kind of like ties in with the way that people felt and dealt with the situation at that point. Yeah. Um but yeah, I mean there there are multiple possible origin stories that you know we can definitely dive into as well. I've probably heard about 100 different variations. Yeah, there on it. there's definitely a bunch. Uh we'll probably talk about at least 3 or 4 of them. Um you know, I don't think we have. Yeah. I don't think our listeners have enough time <laughs> to listen to that many different possible stories as well. Yeah. So what were the kind of the cooler ones, uh, more notable, and things like that? Um, uh, I, I mean, we talk a lot about how these, like, especially with the cryptids, that this is like American folklore, right? But like the Jersey Devil is a legitimate, like, prime example of American folklore because this, oh yeah, for literally sure. comes from from before the founding of our country it's been a part of the culture of new jersey for sure and most like of the eastern united states since its inception yep yeah you're definitely right it's uh i mean it's a very old a very old tale and still i mean people report seeing it to this day yeah um over like the pine you know the pine barrens forest and stuff like that so like I mean, that's where 
and we'll we'll dive into that too because I really want to get into that aspect of it. But yeah, I mean, it's still very present into today, which what I, think I always is really hear. Neat. Yeah, what I always hear about the Pine Barrens is that they're you always hear that they're super creepy. They're, it's they're just apparently like a very one of the most place haunted forest in the in the U.S. And I mean, part of me. Okay, so this may just be like um, a prejudice that I have, right? For for people who live in like um, like big cities, especially eastern cities. But it seems like anytime like people you know who like grow up in say like New York in New York City or like. Uh-huh. People grow up in even like Philly. If you put like, if you put them in a place that has more than four trees, like they think they're in the middle of nowhere, <laughs> yeah, and they're like terrified. No, but the thing you have to, you think you have to like kind of keep in mind, right? Is the pine, the like the pine barrens area, like the forest, is huge. It spans oh, over one point one million acres. Which is yeah. approximately twenty two percent of New Jersey's land mass. Right. Like of New Jersey's land area. So like that's huge. Yeah. And I mean it would be it would be extremely possible to get lost and for people to like disappear into this forest and never be seen again. Absolutely. You take the wrong beaten path and I mean, you know, you're donezo, right? So Right. No, I'm not I'm not talking shit on the Pine Barrens. I I just mean like I feel like the people who like leave Jersey City and go out into the like into the Pine Barrens, that's like of course they're scared. Like right. this is the farthest they've been from a Starbucks in a very long time. I mean, you get out there right? and you're looking at like backwoods area, like you're you know, oh, yeah. it's 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 so dense. And I've I've also watched a lot of videos of people like just navigating through the yeah. Pine Barrens, and it's, it's insane. Um, you know, so, like, yeah, with a vast forest, like, that that dense and that, like, major, I mean, yeah, it's... I could see any, any especially, like, city-dwelling person, you know, getting very lost and just feeling out of place, for sure. Yeah, Definitely. I mean, I'm. I just think that probably has a lot to do with like its reputation for being so creepy. I yeah, I agree. You know, what I, I agree mean? for sure. And I mean, there's also like it's said to like you go deep into the forest, you literally can't hear anything. I mean, it's like you you're cut off from all civilization. You're you know like you're out there alone in nature, and I mean, you may hear like some animals or. You know, chirps of different insects and things like that, depending on the time of year. But you are so, like, almost engulfed in this thing that, like, you know, it's just, yeah, it's just, it's it's crazy. I mean, just how big it is. Yeah, you're and, like cut off. Yeah, for sure. It's a very like, it's a very different area too, like, population wise. Like, yeah. when people think New Jersey, they think, like, Jersey Shore. They think, like, you know what I mean? But, like, even the accent is different for people from Southern Jersey. It's very, like, Pennsylvania accent. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's it's definitely, it is, like, it's, this is... It's, it's like a this different is not the New area. Jer- right. Yeah. It's, it's like not a, the New Jersey you think of normally. Exactly. Yeah. 
So it, it's definitely neat. Um, yeah, it was something I really liked getting into, just even looking you know, into the, like the forest area and you know, everything that kind of surrounds it and stuff. And you know, there are some tales that kind of specifically span you know, and originate from like the Pine Barrens as well. Yeah. Um, you know, just, uh, I think as we get a little bit further kind of you know, through the story, we'll, we'll kind of touch on a little bit more, I think. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, so it's, let's it's, start talking origin. Yeah, we can definitely get into origins. Um, so first of all, this this thing, this Jersey Devil, um, it once went by an original name, which we'll we'll touch on. But so specifically with the Jer- Jersey Devil, it's seen basically as like a bad omen uh, to anyone that believes, right? So it's seen as you know bad omen, bringing about like droughts and bad harvests or harvests. Um, you know, it can bring about missing livestock, like literally take livestock. It's one uh, said to eat chickens, and that's like one of its favorite things, apparently. Yeah. Um, you know, and it, okay, it so can like, bring, yeah. So, so sight having a Jersey Devil sighting is supposed to be like a a bad a omen. foretelling that something, yeah, okay. something bad is going to happen. Sure. Right, you're going to yield bad crops, or also it even said that uh, it can it can bring about cows that produce no milk ah um you know things like that so i mean you're looking at just yeah so just you know no crop yields cows that yield no milk you know stealing your chickens so you can't make eggs and things like that yeah it's it's really set to like said to torment animals specifically is like one of the biggest things yield problems exactly (laughs) um the other things is it's also said to knock down trees that basically squash people um yeah and then it can also one crazy thing is that it's said to be able to boil lakes and streams to burn people alive um so yeah it's 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 another okay yeah go ahead go ahead (laughs) it so it boils people so it said in one of the in a lot of the descriptions is that it breathes fire, right, right. So it's As also said do. That all exactly. So it said that all these things that it does and all these things that it represents, not only that, but it purposely knocks down trees to squash people and will boil lakes and streams to burn people alive. I mean, doesn't this thing weigh like thirty pounds? It's small, right? Exactly. But Imagine, I mean, if you breathe fire and stuff, like you know, I, I'd say you're, you're probably pretty good to boil some water. I have so much trouble being afraid of the Jersey Devil. Is that weird? <laughs> it's like I mean, it's basically like a flying Scottish Terrier. Yeah, that like, also breathes fire. It can burn you where you stand. Do you know how much fire you'd have to breathe to boil a an entire yeah. pond? Well, I'm sure a lot. Exactly. I didn't make this up, right? This is just <laughs> what's been said. <laughs> um, so then we get into what is it, right? Uh, which it's said it's believed to be a demon. Um, there was actually even a local clergyman that tried to perform an exorcism to remove it from the area, uh, from like the like, especially like the Pine Barren Pine Barrens area, and was unsuccessful unsuccessful in doing so. Um, so, I mean, there's there's been exorcisms that have been, you know, that they've tried to actually hold to get rid of this thing. 
So, okay. and that's just to kind of give you an idea of like what this represents, what it brings about, what it's seen as, right? Now, getting into where it originally came from. So it was first seen in the 18th century, specifically 1735. Um, a lady gone by the name of Mother Leeds, known by Mother Leeds, multiple names, Hannah, Jane, um, uh, there's there's a couple others right now, I'm drawing a blank. Doesn't matter, because uh, again, she <laughs> is known by Mother Leeds. And that's where, that's where we get into specific, there's multiple origin stories. So in one particular origin, as with Jane Leeds, a very poor, poor mother of 12 children, finds out basically that she's having a 13th child. Um, you know, when she finds out she's pregnant again, she tries to like cast this child out and basically says, you're, you're the devil. You know, it's like, it claims it to be the devil. So cut to the night that she's giving, you know, giving birth. Um, it's during, and, and all, as all the stories are, during this massive, terrible storm that happened during that night. Right. A storm that was earth-shattering, basically. Yeah. Um, you know, and so this mother is with her children, along with her midwife, trying to deliver this child. And basically, I mean, as the storm is, like, shaking the entire house, everybody's gathering around, you know, watching, helping out, doing everything they can. And finally, this child is born. Uh, it's born. Completely normal. Beautiful baby. What you would expect. Everyone is completely relieved, you know, at the point. It's like, okay, you know, finally things are all right. Like, the mother calms, the the family calms. Everybody is, like, is, is in much better place. We got us a normie. Exactly. Now, yeah. all of a sudden, this child starts to transform into this oh, terrible monstrosity. Its feet turn to hooves. Its head starts to become mangled and reshaped into the shape of a goat or a horse. And then develops and spans, you know, basically these leathery wings that you would expect from a bat. And then develops this fork-like tail. Um, And so at that point... They're, you know, it, everybody's caught off guard. You know, they they weren't, they were hoping that it would be a completely normal baby, and all of a sudden it's this devilish creature. Sure. And so they're trying to hold it down. They're trying, they're, you know, they're trying to figure out, like, what, what we got to do something. And all of a sudden, this thing just grows twice in size in an instant. It grows twice in size, along okay. with these additional features, and breaks loose. And screams and lashes its tail, basically everyone trying to grab a hold of it, trying to get a hold of it, and starts flying around the room. And ends up killing the midwife. Okay. Then flies out the flu flies out the chimney and is, you know, it disappears into these these barons. Okay. And that's one of the origin possible origin stories. Right. Now it should be mentioned that there is a version of that that match it there are versions of that that match it exactly except for it kills one additional person for each version right so there's a version where it kills the midwife there's a version where it kills the midwife and one of the siblings half of the siblings the mother 
the mother and some of the siblings. Like, right? It's, there are so it's many never, different versions. It's never like it's never like a you know hundred percent like the same on every yeah. single case, right? There's right. a version where it kills no one and just flies it just flies right away. The, exactly. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So there's another alternate version of this. Same basic concept, right? I don't have to go back through the whole entire you know, <laughs> sure. the whole entire setting. Yeah. Uh, where the mother is suspected to be a witch. Right. So Mother Leeds is actually a witch. She's dabbling in witchcraft. She's, you know, they're like, the family is, this family is this, this Quaker family that, um, as for what it's worth mentioning, uh, was a part of, of writing these almanacs as well. Oh yeah, I know. I know. All, you know. All so about that. right. So they're they're getting into this, but there are these like Quaker Quaker people that end up like leaving this this religion and start dabbling in like darker things. So sure. Mother Leeds becomes a witch, and the husband of the child or the father of the child is the devil. Right. Well, yeah. So so she's basically like a witch or a sorceress, and the father is a devil. So sure. boom. Yeah, you know, spawns a little mini devil. My favorite version of the origin is the one where Mother Leeds says out loud before giving birth, "Let this one be a devil." Yeah, That's I mean my that favorite. was that was kind of similar to the the first one, you know, yeah. But uh, yeah, so um, it's it's another yeah, it's a it's a couple different little things. Um, so. There's another one where she could have been this woman by the name of Deborah Leeds uh, that was married to a man by the name of Jeffett Leeds, um, who reportedly did have chil- 12 children along with a 13th. So in 1736, Jeffett apparently dies, and in his will, he only names 12 of the children and leaves the 13th basically to do you know shit all right right um that one it, it really doesn't have like a whole lot to it other than just that it doesn't name the 13th child okay so it's assumed um, that it's a devil right it's a devil or they just didn't want it or sure you know whatever else right yeah honestly uh, I, I i would be pumped to have a baby with wings <laughs> it'd be awesome i know <laughs> so just there's saying. there's one more that i want to get into because this one i i feel like especially given the time period and everything uh has a lot of validity and i think it would it would hold and especially this time period all right yeah, uh which is where all right so a girl from leeds point and she ends up basically falling in love with a british soldier this is during the American Revolution. Yeah. So, basically, with her falling in love with this soldier, she becomes pregnant with this child. Um, this town finds out and sees this as treason. She's, you know, fornicating with the other side, basically. Right. Um, and then they cast and curse her and ch- cast out her and her child and curse her and her child. Therefore, putting a curse on this child that causes it to transform. Now, I know the curse part was a little, like, far-fetched. But, again, given the time period and the things that happened and everything, like, it would definitely be easy to, you know, see this, this 
these happenings to this situation as like, yeah, this girl's committing treason. Like she's, you know, like basically sleeping with the other side. You know, she's not one of us sort of thing. Right. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. Honestly, I think that's one of my favorites. I assume that story was, I assume that story was just kind of circulated to prevent people's teenage American daughters from banging British troops. (laughs) You might be right, to be honest. Um, You know, that's possible. Like, what better way than be like, hey, this can happen. You better watch yourself. I'm Um, also almost certain that no Quaker in the history of Earth has ever cursed someone. Right. Well, yeah. Ever. But But the whole town wasn't, weren't Quakers. I know. Just just a massive part of southern New Jersey were Quakers. Yeah. 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 So, I mean, you know, there's that. Um, but you know, so like I said, those are kind of like my my I, I think like probably my favorite origin stories. I really like the one about her, you know, uh, having having a baby with this British soldier and everything. Just because, like I said, with the time period, it would make a whole lot of sense. The cursing and everything, I think that falls short. Um, you know, so it, it, it's it's kind of harder to say. Um, but so. The reason, and I'm gonna I'm gonna kind of skip ahead here just for the sake of time and everything. But the reason that this creature was known as the Leeds Devil uh, was basically, or well, it basically became its name. The Leeds Devil is because, of course, this Leeds Point area that they lived in, um, or it was also known as the Devil of Leeds, and then eventually becomes the Jersey devil just because it, maybe it's just a shorter way to put it or it just sounded better. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, there was no like specific reason. Like we decided to call it this because you know, like whatever else. Um, but yeah, so it went from the Leeds devil or the devil of Leeds to the Jersey devil. And so, so, so my thing is there's like a whole history, a whole like sort of I don't know they call it like a forgotten history behind this that very well could have been like the actual source of it okay um, so there's a guy Daniel Leeds he was like basically he was like Benjamin Franklin's um, main competition yes there are, I was gonna I was gonna right. say that you know there are ties with Benjamin Franklin as well so yeah, yeah. go ahead go so ahead. there was like a whole like political like basically like a pamphlet battle between between Benjamin Franklin and this guy Daniel Leeds and like eventually Franklin came up with this idea of I mean this was basically like the Revolutionary War era version of like like photoshopping your enemy with like a dick on their face (laughs) right yeah you know what I mean Mm -hmm. like yeah so he came up with the Franklin came up with this idea of the Leeds devil right and started like drawing him as a devil and all this right and a lot of people think that this is the actual origin of like where the concept came from of the devil right Right. Of the Leeds Devil, which ultimately became the Jersey Devil. Yeah. I mean, which, you know, that's that's also pretty compelling, too, because it would make it it just it would make sense for just the kind of the 
I guess, the humor of it all. Yeah. Like, you know, what better way to get at somebody or whatever is just to, like, mess with them, right? Yeah. And especially so, if you consider the time period, this isn't far after, like, witch hunts. You know right. what I mean? Yeah, for sure. Like, for sure. So calling someone a devil was, like, serious business. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's like, like, it's like, you know. Those are fighting the, words. So yeah, think of, think of terms that can be used in modern day. You know, that's very yeah. similar. Yeah, um, yeah. So uh, that's yeah, and that was that was one I, I was gonna eventually bring up. Uh, but yeah, you're you're right. I mean, that's that's also another possible thing. That's more so. Like when you want to get serious about this, whether or not it's real or not, yeah, that would give the most reason behind everything, and then it's like story done. Right. So, you know, I I suppose so. I mean, but there's a lot of interesting history here, whether it's real or not. Yeah. About like the way it caught on, because whether there was an actual beast or not, like this is a thing that's persisted for like hundreds of years. Yeah. I mean, I mean, this started in the 18th century and, and, and yeah, still persists into this day. Yeah. I mean, one of the, Go ahead. I was going to say one of the most famous sightings was actually um, Joseph Bonaparte, brother of Napoleon Bonaparte. Yep. That saw uh, saw this creature basically flying over the grounds of the Bordentown estate in uh, 1820. Um, I, I've read a couple different instances, and one of them said that he fired a cannon at the creature, blowing a hole in its wing as well. Yeah. Um, other reports just said he saw it and then literally like the same time same time period or 20 years later all the locals of the area saw it in the exact same spot and that was basically all you know all she wrote at that point i'm curious if this was the same beast that you know we've been describing how small was that cannon <laughs> if the cannonball just put I a mean, hole in cannonballs are relatively small though <clears throat> i know but a 30 pound creature you're i a cannonball. A cannonball is like, going to be like half the size of a bowling ball. Yeah, I guess that's true. You know, so like, I mean, a thirty-pound creature that would hit it right in the gut. That'd do I'm some thinking, damage. I guess I'm or thinking wing, about guess. the like, yeah. I guess I'm thinking about like the the big ass like ballast cannons from oh like, yeah. shit. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, or I the, mean those. That's going to be a little bit different, but like, you know, Napoleon or uh, sorry, Joseph Bonaparte being apparently a cannoneer. Um, you know, just uh, is apparently has this at his cannon at his estate, and just like, all yeah. right, boom, just waiting uh, for. So a devil I wouldn't to imagine it would be like some <laughs> industrial sized cannon. <laughs> yeah, sure, <laughs> we can call it that. Right, exactly. But that was one I thought was pretty cool. Um, yeah, you know that it, someone so significant, right? Sure. Um. So basically, like I said, in 1840. Uh, locals in the same area claim to see the same thing over the same you know, same estate area, uh, same Borden Town area rather. Yeah. Um, and then a year later, uh, there were similar sightings uh, that were claimed. People heard screams and saw tracks in the snow, much similar to 1909. There were lots yeah. of reports of tracks in the snow. And so uh, I do have a couple different instances. Um, I guess a couple, you know basic stories okay before you get Um, into that before you get into those stories like 
What's, I think a thing to be considered here for how or why the story stuck for so, has stuck for so long is like, <clears throat> as, I don't know, this is like a time period in like the late 18th century, early 19th century. This is a time period where like, Europeans are finding all sorts of crazy wildlife in America. Oh, that was another one I was going to get into. You're beating me to like, it. All right. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's, I mean, there's, it's a ton. You know what and I mean? At that like, point, there was the term nature faker was used. Sure. All throughout publication. Yeah. And they were specifically people that would go off. Um, so it, it could be, it, there could be different things, but people that would go off, especially in publication and write about these things that they had no idea what they were. Yeah. And then claim them to be something or, you know, whatever else. <laughs> right. Well, as like they got further into the interior of the continent, the animals just got crazier and crazier. Yeah. And like a lot of the legends that they'd, you know, things they wrote off as legends that they heard from native Americans like came true like the idea of like millions of horned animals in herds no one believed that yeah for a really yeah, long you're, time you're definitely right for sure like until they finally saw it right until they saw these like herds of bison and herds of like elk and mm -hmm. dude it's imagine like having no idea even that a possum exists Right, and then I mean, you see a possum. That's a fucking. Then we monster. get into like conversation that we had when we were talking about the Van Meter, right? Yeah, like of it, of it possibly being just this something. You know, something was undiscovered at that point, right? And this is what this reminds me of to a T, right? I you think know, like just some undiscovered thing, which I have another example that we'll get into shortly. And I think that I think that concept has a lot to do with why this legend stuck because. They kept, they kept having all these other legends come true, right? Like they hear about, you know, a weird little white thing with like a, like a basically a giant rat with like sharp teeth, and then yeah. they find a possum. You know what I mean? I, you're right, exactly. Like, like it's like oh, in this, but yeah, and all this shit. You know, there's like everything just comes comes to life like that they hadn't quite like discovered or anything yeah. like that. And I think that or that's believed. a big part of it. Exactly. Like imagine being the first person you've ever known that know that sees a moose. Yeah. Could you yeah. imagine? First of all, that'd be terrifying. That? Yeah. And then, yeah. Trying to, trying to be like, explain what you saw, you know, and there's, and there was, there was examples. Like there's, there's one example we'll go over where, uh, this guy, um, apparently captured and killed this thing and took a picture of it and showed it to over a hundred people that couldn't describe what it was. Yeah. You know, so it's, it's very similar in that regard. And I think like, that's something to really take away here is with the time period. Um, and just as we discussed on van meter, like, you know, this is, this is an era where like a lot of, a lot of these things weren't like publicly known. Yeah. And, you know, for some, for people to start seeing them and seeing them like rapidly and things like that, like it could very well be chalked up to this monster or this like this thing that just never, you know, it's 
never been fully discovered because people don't really know what it is. Yeah. I mean, if you're a person who just found out moose that moose exists, it wouldn't be, it's not that much more far-fetched to believe in the Jersey devil. I agree. Yeah, for sure. Like that's, there's all kinds of crazy shit on this continent. Yeah. That's where, you know, and and maybe I'll, maybe I'll just touch on it now. Yeah, Uh, go ahead. As there's actually a bat that is called the hammerhead bat that looks identical to what is described as the Jersey devil. Okay. I've never heard of this. Really? Look it up. Looks identical to the Jersey devil. Like it's face, it's wings, like it's body shape, the size of it. Everything is the exact same. And it's something that now we refer to as a hammerhead bat. Oh, what the fuck? And so that's where like, you know, it continuing this conversation. Now we know this as this, but could that have been perceived as the Jersey devil? Where are these things found? Um, I don't remember specifically. I didn't dive super into it other than just knowing that they're there. <laughs> oh, it's African. <laughs> okay. So okay. There, there we go. Yeah. yeah. But still like the, the hammer headed bat is the largest bat in mainland Africa. Who's to say spans up to 90 centimeters. Holy shit. Yeah, yeah. This literally looks like the Jersey devil. Exactly. Right. But who's to say someone didn't like capture it out there, bring it over here. And then it yeah. gets loose. Right. Yeah. So Dude, I'm sold. I'm sold. And I didn't want to give that away yet until we got into like, <laughs> the end of things. But oh my God. I am too. I know <laughs> my mind is blown that. Yeah. Seriously. Everyone listening. Google hammerheaded bat right now. It's the fucking Jersey devil. We'll make sure we post a couple pictures of it yes, just so just absolutely. so we can show a comparison. But yeah, it's literally it. And that was like that was my immediate my immediate thought too is like no way. This this is what these people are seeing. Like it has to be, right? So, yeah. And that's again furthering that conversation about this being a time where people like you didn't really know what these things were and they're, you know, it's a time where we're discovering so many different things. Early 1900s was a massive time period for us to discover all these unknown animals and things like that that just were were only like dreamed about and only like, you know. Yeah. And for them to become something that's well known or kind of further further, I guess, investigated and you know, right. becomes well known at that point to become common um, knowledge. Exactly. So I, I think that's, you know, that's that's where I go for sure. Yeah. So needless to say, um, <laughs> so, um, you know, so it, again, kind of going over a couple of the just instances now that we've gotten that out of the way and these people are now convinced that this is just basically <laughs> that. Yeah. Um, so in, 19, <laughs> in 1925, uh, there was a farmer. Uh, that claimed to see an animal that he couldn't identify trying to steal his chickens. He basically shot it with his rifle, killing it, took photos of its corpse, and showed it to over 100 people. And that's what I was talking about before. Right. And this is where all these people that he showed it to over 100 people couldn't identify what it was. Exactly. Given the time period, it's, it's easy to say, like, something that wasn't well known. 
Uh, there was another instance of a sheriff and his deputies that were trying to chase this Jersey Devil away from a farm where it was terrorizing a bunch of cattle. Uh, the sheriff told the creature, If it is true you are the devil, rattle your chains. And at that point, everyone claimed to hear the sound of chains, further believing that it was the devil. My God. All right. Now, backtracking a little bit, uh, so talking about this 1909 incident, this week of 1909 from January 16th through January 23rd, yeah, we had over a thousand people claim to hear, see, and experience the same similar things. We had many, many, many reports of hooved footprints in the snow, people seeing this creature flying, terrorizing their livestock, terrorizing, you know, trying to eat their chickens. Like I said, I, apparently that's a delicacy for this thing, <laughs> um, you know. And so, a thousand, over a thousand reports made headline, like headlines in local papers, spanning yeah. four different states, right? Which yeah. is huge. Like that, I mean, it has to tell you, like people are seeing something. They're seeing, like each of these people are they seeing something very similar? Could be the hammerhead bat. Um, now, you know, but again, I mean, yeah. Hammerhead bats are fruit bats, and they definitely would not be eating chickens. But, but I mean, you have this big ass bat that like swoops down. It's gonna scare some things. Easily. Sure, definitely. Maybe it wasn't really eating chickens. Maybe they thought it was. Sure. Maybe it got super close, like because this thing also was said to like just like it'd walk on the fence, like you know, like weightlessly on a fence. It would yeah. do the same thing and walk on chicken coops all the time. You mean like a bat would? And like rest on a chicken coop. Exactly. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And that's where I think like that idea of them really liking chickens and trying to like eat their chickens probably came from. Yeah. So. That makes sense. Yeah. Exactly. But yeah. So I mean such a like a pivotal, pivotal moment for these people. And this like time period where all these things are happening. Everybody's experiencing these same similar things. You have all these headlines going out like... I mean, there's even Zeus putting bounties on this thing. They wanted it alive because they wanted to basically showcase it. Um, they didn't want it dead. Otherwise, it was it was like of no value to them. But they were like offering $10,000 at that point. This is 1909. $10,000 is a, yeah. a hefty amount of money. For sure. And like literally Zeus offering like, we will pay you $10,000 to return the, you know, to take this or capture it and bring it to us basically. Yeah. Um, so not only that, but you have all these, all these headlines that are coming up and then you have a, you have people that are claiming to capture this thing, right? There's so many reports of people saying that they caught and killed this thing. Yeah. Like even people like catching a kangaroo, literally attaching horns to it and wings to its back and trying to dismiss it as this Jersey devil. Like, just messed up, man. Messed up. Okay, so have you heard of the Ninth and Arch Dime Museum? Did I was you come about across to get that, into that in here? Okay. Yes. Awesome. All right. Yes, please do. Okay. So Norman Jeffries yep. um, owned this museum. It's a dime museum. Very, like, it was struggling, struggling heavily at this point. <laughs> so they capture this Jersey Devil. And then post in the headline, you know, they submit this article to the newspaper. Come, um, I just want to make sure I'm, I'm, I have this 100. percent 
Uh, so this article appeared in the newspaper uh, titled, What is it visits, visits all South Jersey? With the photo of the actual, quote unquote, actual proof of like footprints in the snow. Um, and that's where all these older people are basically claiming it to be this Leeds devil. Sure. So January 22nd, 1909, Norman Jeffries, most, probably most likely, um, mm-hmm. submitted a story to the Inquirer of an explanation to the mystery. Um, the headline read, Vampire Missing, Lookout Jersey. Australian wonder crossed between a kangaroo and a bat strangely disappears. The same day, a hunting party, quote unquote, captured the creature in Fairmount Park. They called it a kango wing because this thing actually had multiple different names. Yeah. Um, it's, it's really just funny names, but they called it a kango wing. A cross between a kangaroo and an Australian water bird. So on January 24th, an ad for the Dime Museum, um, Norman Jeffries Dime Museum, came out, which announced that the captured Leeds Devil would be on display. Uh, there was actually a follow-up article that was done a day later. They claimed thousands had turned out to see the fuming and fretting creature chained in a cage. (laughs) (laughs) Thousands of people turned out to see this thing at the struggling dime museum. Uh, And there were actually a lot of newspapers that didn't believe this, right? They didn't buy the story and instead claimed that this Jersey Devil is actually killed when its tail uh, hit an electrified third rail of a train in Gloucester County. Um, so, <laughs> so getting back on this this dime museum, right? Uh, so he submits this article, you know, that they've captured it, they yeah. have it, and then you know, again, all these next day, all these thousands of people came to see it. So, do you know why? None of the other newspapers believed him. Was that because he had worked for all those newspapers and been fired for faking news stories? He was well known <laughs> for faking news. Exactly. Yes. So cut to <laughs> years later, Jeffries is on his deathbed and he confessed to staging the entire incident. He basically used all the reports to drive business to his museum, which funnily enough survived only about two more weeks before it was shut down because they had no more money yeah all these thousands of visitors that they claim to have never came or went yeah like it never never happened yeah. i kind of feel bad for the guy <laughs> the like dime museum i mean that's a solid dimes. way to like drive some people in like you know especially during this time yeah but then so, he also had all these other these other articles like fighting against him so yeah, yeah. there's this hilarious story like he and the guy who worked for him drove up to upstate New York and borrowed a kangaroo from this like professor that was a friend of his, right? Right. They borrow his kangaroo. They paint green stripes on it <laughs> on the kangaroo. How pissed would you be if someone borrowed your kangaroo and it returned it? it to you with some yeah. racing stripes? Yeah. So they paint green stripes on this kangaroo. They make these wings out of rabbit fur, right? Oh, man. And attach it. Actually, the first set of wings that they attach to it, the kangaroo eats. So they have to make like a softer pair out of rabbit fur. And those stay. 
and and then they strap antlers to its head. Okay, right. There's and its horns. That's what they stick in their dime museum. <laughs> Jesus, like, <laughs> and it it was so bad that like it was there were even like part of the story is that like they had to hire some kid to sit behind the cage and poke it with a nail to keep it like riled up instead of just right, laying to on the ground make it appear aggressive or yes. at least like doing something i guess yeah <laughs> yeah ugh it's yeah i mean it's so it's terrible it really is it's very cringy that yeah. like but i mean you know this guy's well known for doing some shady stuff it's very um, like early 1900s snake oil salesman. Right. Oh, like, yeah, for sure. It's, for sure. It's just a classic part of this era of American yeah. history. So that that was one of the funniest things that I read. And like the fact that like he claimed that thousands came and thousands went basically seeing this creature. Yeah. And then like, but I mean, you know, years later, though, and he didn't admit to this until he was on his deathbed. That he embellished, he well, he didn't embellish. He fabricated the entire Faked thing, every bit of it. Yeah, exactly. So, like, man, uh, I would hate to be one of the people that actually made it a point to go there and see this. <laughs> yeah, I would too. I would hate it that day when I showed up and saw a painted kangaroo getting but poked I, with a nail. But people aren't going to know that. I doubt they even thought that. They were probably like, "Wow, this is crazy." I you guess. know, like I'm sure they kept it dark maybe. in the tent, and like yeah, exactly. You know I mean? Like you gotta yeah. you gotta add some like suspense to it. You gotta set the mood, like you know. So I yeah, I'm sure they they did something to make it like not very obvious. Yeah, you're probably right, but still, like, oh man, I think I'd be a little pissed <laughs> to find that out. Like, <laughs> yeah, for sure, it's pretty hilarious though. Yeah, it's. So, but I mean, there's so many of these reports and so many of these like people claiming to catch it and like doing all these stupid things to make it like look like they had imagined. Yeah. When at the end of the day, it's I, personally, I think it's just just a bat. Yeah, I think it's a hammerhead bat. To be honest, honestly, like I said I, I mean. Yeah. Honestly, I think the the spate of sightings from 1909, I think those are all those were mass all hysteria. Dri- yeah, I think they were driven yeah. by the like newspaper campaign by Jeffrey. I agree. By all that trying to get See, it, th- yeah, trying to get it going. I think Jeffrey's had a big part in this because he submitted so many stories. Yeah. Two local papers, not even just one. Like the Enquirer even did a big thing on the story that Jeffries published. Mm-hmm. And then they published these pictures of these hoof prints, which we'll also have uh, we'll also have in social media, so you can check it out. Definitely. But posted these hoof prints in the snow, claiming this was the Jersey Devil. Like yeah. we know it. We this is fact. And like that drove people like to be like, oh my God, this is real. Yeah. You know, like they have hardcore evidence. factual evidence because they have a picture of some footprints in the snow. Yeah. That look like hooves. So, yeah, I mean, I I honestly think like that the whole 1909 era, like that that week of 1909, I think, yeah, I think a lot of it was Norman Jeffries literally influencing a lot of it. Yeah. You know how many hooved animals live in southern 
New Jersey I mean, yeah. in, in 1909. <laughs> right. Like, so it's... And people but, are reading about these crazy accounts in exactly. the newspaper. Every yep. time they see hoof prints, they're going, oh shit, it's the devil. It, right, exactly. Because, I mean, what else would it be? <laughs> yeah. It's not going to be your normal, like, you know, deer or anything yeah, like that. definitely not. It's, come on, man. It's, uh, like, the story's awesome. Yeah. I love especially the backstory. Like, the origin and everything is really neat. I really dig, like, the witch and devil aspect of it. I think that's cool. Like I said, I really, I really also like the Revolutionary War end of it. And then also the Benjamin Franklin yes. end of it like you know so there's a lot of areas that like I really dig about it and it makes it such a fascinating story but at the end of the day like I think it is all brought on by mass hysteria and then just something that people literally had no idea what it was yeah it was new yeah I agree I think this story is awesome I, lo- I love it because like you were just saying it's like it's a piece of American history. Like, oh yeah, with without a doubt, for sure. The mm-hmm. like folklore aspects, the like um supposed origin stories, all that is like prime like witch hunt era Americana. Right? And on top of that, you have the history with Benjamin Franklin and that's like some legit like that's like a chunk of of someone's life that you learn yep. about in from elementary school that you never get to hear about. You know and what I mean? Not only that, but then the other end of it with Joseph Bonaparte, like Yeah. Yeah. So, so I mean, like there's a lot of kind of compelling things to it, right? Yeah. No, I I love this story. But I I really do think I think the name probably originated with that pamphlet war. Yeah. With Franklin and Leeds. I yep, I think you're definitely right for sure. And then I think probably a few hammerheaded bats made their way across in some ships. Cuz this was also, I mean just to, not not to cut you off, but this is also a period where we were catching like these things overseas and yeah. you know like these and bringing them back and then like a lot of cases a lot of them did get loose. Yeah. And, and that also, was not like not out of the ordinary right and also slave ships were yeah coming sure. back and forth from west africa to to the east coast of who's of to America say over and over again some didn't just you know get on board and yeah come, exactly. on, come along like, a few stowaway bats yep they're big as fuck and they look like the damn jersey devil i they mean literally do yeah they, it's insane it's crazy <laughs> so i think that's probably those were cited and I think I think that's probably everything that the Jersey Devil was. I agree. I think the name stuck the Leeds Devil from the pamphlet war, right? And then this thing got got cited and got attached to that name. Yep. I agree for sure. And I mean, obviously accounts persist to this day. Great. Yeah. You know, that's all all great and cool. I love the stories. I, lo- I even even as like into today, I've I've heard and read a lot of really cool stories of like more recent things. Yeah. I think that's all it's going to be. It's it's always going to be a part of the history. It's going to remain like this thing that the Jersey area is known for. Yep, their claim to fame, just as every yeah. you know every area has. 
And they should be and proud of it. This is like 100% American folklore. Like, yeah. this is part of what makes America, America. For sure. I love it. But at the end of the day, it's just a silly old bat. <laughs> sure is. It's a fucking scary looking bat. <laughs> it really is. <laughs> yeah, it's it's kind of terrifying. Yeah, it is. And big as fuck. All right. Well, I think that uh, wraps up episode 30, The Jersey Devil. Thank you guys for sticking around. I hate bats. Thank you, thank you, thank you. From the bottom of our weird, possibly alien, maybe ghostly, probably cryptid hearts for listening. We absolutely love having the chance to discuss all these wild creatures and events every week. And it's your continued attention that allows us to carry on. We want to get to know each and every one of you. So please come and check us out on all the socials. At campfire.tales.podcast on Instagram and Facebook. At campfire.totsau on Twitter. And you can also visit our website at campfirepodcastnetwork.com. If you love the show, please rate and review it. It's what truly helps us continue bringing your weekly dose of the strange and unsettling. And a special thanks to Greg Martin at Reverent Music on Instagram, the brilliant mind behind the gorgeous music that you hear each week behind the debrief. So go find him at reverentmusic.bandcamp.com or you can visit his Spotify page by searching Reverent, R-E-V-E-R-E-N-T. All of these links can be found in the episode description. Go and support him. You both deserve it. And that's it. Until next time, I'm Ryan. I'm Jordan. And remember, campers, stay weird and trust in the unknown.